and the warm weather. <laughs> so, okay, well, please stand and uh, and join in singing hymn number five seventeen. What a friend we have in Jesus. Father, we just thank you for this beautiful day. We can just see your love and beauty and everything that's coming forth as the beautiful blossoms of spring should come forth. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to to come here and to sing, to pray in your name. Father, we just... Uh, Thank you for Pastor Tony. We just pray you would be with him as he shares the message you've laid upon his heart this evening. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, in the way of announcements, uh, we had the, the spaghetti dinner today, and those of you that went, I went. Uh, it was delicious. Very, very, very good. Looked like we had a really, uh, a really good turnout. I don't see some of the ladies that were there or was organizing that, but it certainly, uh, it looked like it was, the turnout was good. So, so we appreciate all those that, uh, took the opportunity to, to share it. Uh, other, uh, other announcements, uh, you know, Mops has, has a, uh, a movie on the lawn on the 24th. Uh, 
Vacation Bible School is coming up, and uh, uh, Lacey is and I are kind of co-coordinators of uh, Vacation Bible School. Lacey has the tough job of trying to get teachers and helpers. So uh, I would appreciate those of you that have been teachers and helpers in the past or uh, that haven't been, that uh, Lacey's contact information is here. You can call the church office. You can tell me, but but we do need to get the people. We have a uh, we're going with a little different program this year, but it uh, it looks looks like excellent. Uh, in, in the past, we've been using uh, literature that several other ch- churches in the community have been using. So, kids have been through. By the time they get to our program, they've been through it once or twice, or maybe more times. So, uh, so we decided to, to go a little different route this year with the program. So, uh, hopefully, that will uh, will be a success. Uh, the other thing I might mention, since I since I've got the microphone, you know how when when people get the microphone, you know what happens, don't you? <laughs> On July the 29th, we have the children's choir that's going to be here, and uh, I had put out a plea for people to to uh, sleep the the choir. To, and uh, I still need three or four homes that could host, you know, the kids and a and an adult during uh, during that. It's a Sunday evening. I said the 29th. I was corrected. It's the 28th. I'll get that correct here sometime. But on Sunday evening, the tw- the 28th, they will be here presenting the program for that evening, and then they will need need places to sleep. So we still need three or four homes, uh, and the minimum number of people you would need to be able to host would be an adult. They will send an adult with each group of, of kids and two, and two kids. So uh, they can sleep on the couch. They can sleep on air mattresses. They can, you know, they're they're in age from like eight or ten up to fifteen or sixteen. So so there are different ages there. So if you could do that. You know, please let me know or let the uh, let June in the office know, and uh, so that we can uh, fulfill those uh, those uh, requirements there. So it, it will be an exciting day. I think you'll be excited. We'll have a have a I'll have another couple of previews here in the near future of them singing, and uh, I think you'll be excited not only to see the to hear them singing, but also to see the the dress that they have. So they'll have some of the the dress that the kids are in Uganda would wear. So, okay, other other announcements. How about birthdays? Anybody having a birthday? Anybody want to admit to having a birthday? Nobody. <laughs> Who's not here? Oh, Carmine had one, and he's not here tonight. So. So we'll have to catch that one later. We we can't miss that opportunity. <laughs> How about anniversaries? It's a quiet group tonight. Okay. Well, if there's no anniversaries and no birthdays, then the evening offering.
Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for these gifts that are brought forward this evening. We just pray that uh, that we as a church might use those for for spreading the gospel, not only throughout Moundsville, but throughout other areas. We just thank you and pray your, breath, pray your blessings upon each of those and the gifts that have been brought. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for coming tonight. I very much appreciate it. I I, um, I know Frank mentioned it. I, I I did want to say thank you to all the ladies and the teenagers that helped with the dinner. A lot of work went into that, so I, I, I deeply appreciate that. And, and Ron and, uh, wanted me to communicate to everyone how appreciative he is of all of us and all of you, and and uh, just wanted to make sure that you knew that and. And it's probably it's just still it's it's not good for him to be around a, a, a large crowd and a lot of different people right now. But he misses you and is very appreciative of you. So I want to make sure to let you know that. Um, I I I really like our church. I really like it. I, I uh, I'm always I'm, I continue to be amazed at how people mobilize and how gracious and kind people are and and. Uh, we have a good thing here, you know. I I don't want it to get messed up, you know. I, I really am thankful. Um, I heard somebody say, not not here, it, years ago, when I was I was younger in a Sunday school class one time. I've never forgotten this. A guy said, "Your life is the sum total of the choices you make. Your life is the sum total of the choices you make." Now, there's a sense in which that's very true. There's no denying that. God has written into the DNA of humanity that we basically reap what we sow, right, more or less. Uh, there are exceptions to some degree, but for the most part, if you make really bad choices, your life will not go well. If you make really good, responsible choices, the likelihood that your life um, will go well is much higher, right? But, but it isn't an absolute truth, it, it, not all the time. And nowhere is that statement that your life is the sum total of the choices you make Nowhere is that statement less true than when it comes to the gospel. If our lives are finally, ultimately, nothing more than the sum total of the choices we make, we all are going to go to hell. I know that's not a very positive idea, but if, if it's just pure math, nobody is, is getting out of this alive. The legacy of Jesus Christ in the gospel, however is that the lives of all those who believe in Him for salvation end up being the sum total of all the choices He has made. So how do you evaluate your past? When you think back over your life, how do you look at it? What do you take from it? When you look into the future, what do you expect to be there? And why do you expect that? What are you relying on to redeem you? What are you relying on to give you security? And this second to last text in Hosea that we're going to look at. He looks at three key periods from Israel's past. And what becomes clear is not just from the current state of Israel, but from her history, is that the only possible hope there is for human beings is that God will just unilaterally decide somehow to be merciful. That's what we need. If 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 it's all you 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 know 
you get what you deserve, your choices pan out to determine what you get. Our only hope is that God is just a God that would decide to be merciful. The only provision for the mistakes of our past, the only hope for the security of our future is Christ alone. The grace of God in Christ is the only provision there is that can save us. And so we'll look at 11.12 to 13.16 tonight of Hosea in three stages, but first let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for another evening that you've given to us tonight. God, I thank you for the song that we sang. I thank you for the truth of the offertory that we heard about the cross. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you would continue to make yourself known to us through your word. And, Father, I pray that you would overshadow me, that I might preach your word and not mine. And, Father, that everyone would be able to listen and understand, everyone that's in here, young and old. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The first lesson from which Hosea is going to draw is the lesson of Jacob. Let me pick up in verse 12 of chapter 11, and I'll read down through verse 6 of chapter 12. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, and the house of Israel with deceit. But Judah still walks with God and is faithful to the Holy One. Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. They make a covenant with Assyria and oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways and he will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb he took his brother by the heel and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So you... By the help of your God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. So Ephraim, which again is another name for Israel, is filled with lies and deceit. And even at this, even though at this point Judah still walked with God, or the Hebrew is a little unclear there, but it looks like even though Judea walked with God at the time Hosea was writing, what will become of them is clear here in verse 3, and we know it from the rest of Scripture. But what's coming out here is Hosea is making his point by showing Israel and Judah both had the same ancestor. The kingdom is divided, but that doesn't matter. Hosea's point here is to establish two things. The first is that the story of Israel, the nation, parallels the story of Israel, the person, Jacob. The second thing is his reminder that God's grace made Jacob who he was and had made Israel who she was. Hosea recalls Genesis 25, 22 to 26 in verse 3. You, most of you remember that story. Jacob grabbed hold of Esau's heel in their mother's womb so that they came out together. The name Jacob literally means to grasp or he grasps. Jacob was a grasper. He was driven to take what he wanted. That's who Jacob was from the womb. And Hosea says what happened with Jacob in the womb set the tone for or the pattern for his whole life. Jacob ended up becoming another word for deceit. Jacob was a supplanter. Jacob was a deceiver. In Genesis 27, with the help of his mother, he manipulated his father Isaac so that he received the promised blessing of the firstborn. Even though he wasn't that, he grasped the blessing by deception. It passed to him. The Messiah comes from his line, not Esau's, all because Jacob the person was a deceiver. Now, when you look at the text, what is his point here? 
In 11, 12, and 12, 1, Israel, the nation, is also a deceiver. You, 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 the nation can't get over the hump of who they were because of who Jacob was. They made promises. They entered into a covenant with God. And they're now making treaties with Assyria and Egypt. They even used, he brings up that they used oil to seal the deal. It's, it's seedy what they did. But Egypt and Assyria could not provide for Israel. They couldn't nourish them or care for them to the extent they needed. But even more tragic was that these other nations, Israel was so bent on having the favor of, wouldn't bend to serve them. They had their own interests at heart, their own reasons, which meant, as Hosea implies here in the first part of verse 1, a contract with these nations would provide as much security as a contract with the wind. And Hosea recalls the finer points of Jacob's story as markers for Israel. Understandably, right? Esau was not very happy with Jacob when he stole his birthright, so Jacob had to flee for his life. The only thing he had to protect him was God's promise, so he collapsed. He has to plead for his life. In verses 4 and 5, recall Genesis 28, when God came and spoke to him at a place called Bethel. Then years later, still on the run from his brother in Genesis 32, God came to him again in the form of an angel. Jacob wrestled with God all night, overcomes him amazingly. So what he wrestles another blessing from God that he shouldn't have. He grasps for it until he gets it. So God names him Israel, which means fights with God. That's what the word means. This is how Hosea is painting the picture of the nation of Israel now in these verses. They are like their ancestor. They deceive, they grasp, they fight with God. And so the Lord has a charge against them, just as he did against Jacob. Jacob lived a life of deceit and grasping. God came against him with an indictment, but Jacob wrestled with God as a pursuit of God's favor, of His grace in verse 4. And Hosea's point to Israel is, you are like your father Jacob. You're full of deceit. You're constantly grasping at things to take hold of security and identity for yourselves. So God has a charge against you. You need to learn the lesson of history here. You need to learn the lesson of Jacob. Jacob didn't get, he didn't become Israel through the grasping of earthly things and, and deceit, but because he sought God's favor. The fact that he was an opportunist, a grasper, didn't make him who he was, right? It, it, not in the eyes of God. Deceit didn't make Jacob who he was. God's gracious favor made Jacob who he was. Hosea says there, in that moment when Jacob wrestled, God spoke with us in verse 4. You see him change the pronouns here. He pulls the whole nation into that moment so that they will do the same. That's why he says in verse 6, So you, right? What was the point of God letting Jacob win their wrestling match? Because that's what happened. You're not going to actually beat God in a wrestling match. All right? He let Jacob win. God made himself weak in order to bless Jacob. So if you want to grasp at something, Israel, grasp at the God of grace. Grasp for, do whatever you have to do to get a hold of a God that would make himself weak so that you could have his favor. Right? That, that's what Hosea is saying here. That's what it means for Israel to obey verse 6. Is it stop striving, stop working to get Wait on this God. Don't assert. Don't jump the gun. Don't demand. Don't deceive. Don't grasp. 
Wait for the Lord. Wait for Him to move. It's His grace that makes us what we are. Next, Hosea teaches the lesson of Moses. Look at 12.7. A merchant in whose hands are false balances he loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. I will again make you dwell in tents. As in the days of the appointed feast, I spoke to the prophets. It was I who multiplied visions and through the prophets gave parables. If there is iniquity in Gilead, they shall surely come to nothing. In Gilgal they sacrifice bulls. Their altars also are like stone heaps on the furrows of the field. Jacob fled to the land of Aram. There Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he guarded sheep. By a prophet the Lord brought Israel up from Egypt, and by a prophet he was guarded. Ephraim has given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifices kiss calves. Therefore, they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior, it was I who knew you in the wilderness in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard. I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breast and there I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. The call was to wait for God's help. Remember in 12.6. What is their response? Ephraim, Israel says in verse 8, in essence, we don't need to wait. We don't need God's help. We don't need God's grace. We have earned God's favor. We don't need His grace. We've earned His favor. My work and my labor have washed away my sin. Do you see that in the text? So Hosea progresses to the next major step in Israel's history. Israel the man... Jacob went to Egypt to escape famine. The nation ended up enslaved there. But God brought them out of slavery. He brought them to the promised land. He drove out the inhabitants of Canaan and gave the land to them in verse 9. But then, very interestingly, Hosea goes backwards in their history to the time when Jacob was fleeing from Esau and went to his uncle Laban. Right There, Jacob became a guardian of sheep. In the same way, Hosea says, that a prophet guarded Israel in the wilderness. Jacob is referring to Moses, of course, but he doesn't use his name. Here he's just a prophet because Hosea wants them to see that all that time, God was the one who was truly shepherding Israel through his the words of his servant Moses. Here, God's people are not like Jacob, they're like the sheep Jacob took care of. God cared for and guided them. It was He who took care of them. God was the source of their provision, but still they aroused God's anger in verse 14. 
The text moves into chapter 13. We see again how far Israel has fallen. They went from bad to worse. They're even practicing human sacrifice at this point. God led his people from uh, the stories going... He says God's people became Canaanites. That's the word for merchant back in verse 7. We see that in Judges. They became as wicked, as vile as all the nations around them. So God says, I'm going to make you dwell in tents again. The story's going in reverse. Remember chapter 9. Remember, that's part of the point here. God led his people from tents to the promised land. Now he will take them from the promised land, make them dwell in tents. They will become like morning mist that quickly vanishes away in 13.3. God himself is going to become like a lion and a leopard and a bear to them, devouring them, ripping them open. Why? The lesson of Jacob showed they had forgotten that God's grace made them who they were. Now the lesson of Moses shows they had forgotten God's grace was the source of all that they had. So finally, Hosea gives a third lesson, the lesson of King Saul. That King Saul began to teach Israel. Look at verse 9. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers, those of whom you said, Give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son, for at the right time he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. You see, it's all their history. right? You're just like Jacob was in the womb. Right? Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Hear what God is saying. Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness. It's been bad news east of Eden ever since the beginning. And his fountain shall dry up, his spring shall be parched, it shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. That's the capital city, if you will, of the northern kingdom of Israel. They shall fall by the sword, their little ones shall be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women ripped open. Judgment, when it comes, will be awful. Awful. When Israel first came into the promised land, their king was God himself. He ruled over them. But eventually, why? Because they were deceivers who didn't keep their promises, grasped at whatever they could find that they thought would make them secure. Israel wanted a king like all the other nations had. They rejected God's gracious favor over them to get the leadership of human beings. God is going to end up calling that adultery. So God gave them a king like all the other nations had. And Israel would discover tragically what God had been trying to tell them, that human kings are a disappointment. Right? They are failures. It doesn't matter how tall they are. It doesn't matter how strong they are. It doesn't matter how good-looking they are. It doesn't matter how well they do in battle. They're ultimately failures. That's why God was their king in the first place, unlike all the other nations who just had people over them. God actually loved the people over which he reigned. Saul's reign ended in absolute failure. A human king cannot ultimately protect people. Why would we ever buy that lie? What does history have to show us? 
for us to stop believing that our trust can ever be in human kings. Ever. And that's even more true. If, if, if a human king cannot ultimately protect people from other humans, imagine if the enemy from which we need protection is God himself coming in his wrath. Right? In verses 9 through 11, the history lesson continued. Again, what use is a human king when you're up against God? None. In verses 12 and 13, there was an explanation for the ease and comfort Israel was experiencing in the time that Hosea prophesied. It's hard to imagine how difficult his ministry was. Things were visibly going very well, materially going very well in Israel. But it wasn't that God was overlooking their sin during this time. Hosea reveals he's storing it up for his wrath. He's just counting and counting and storing and storing. That's precisely what would fall on Israel and eventually Judah about 200 years later or so. Israel's constant rebellion and sin and adultery culminated in one crushing and terrifying barrage of questions in verse 14. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? These are questions you don't want God to be asking about you. right? Shall I redeem them from death? O oh, death, where are your plagues? O oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Compassion was hidden from Hosea's eyes. Israel deserved one thing, and Hosea knew it. Judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. Though he may flourish among his brothers, what difference does that make? The east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up. His spring shall be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt. This is what happens when there's no mediator. Because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women ripped open. Which, by the way, You see, the Bible, the Word of the living God, would put anything that would damage a child and a pregnant woman as evil and brutal and awful. Israel's choices throughout history led to only one possible option for the future. That's Hosea's point here. It's It's the lowest point of the whole book of Hosea. Here's what... This is who you've always been. I'm going to destroy you. That's it. This is what you've always been like. You should have... You always worry about grasping things. You should have been grasping at my gracious mercy. I'm going to wipe you out. And Assyria is going to be my tool to do it. And every nation you've loved and went to for security, they're going to turn on you so fast. It's an awful, awful moment. The implication tonight for us here, beloved, if we are left to ourselves, if the lives, the destiny, the future of Adam's descendants is the sum total of the choices they make, the unavoidable result of their biology, our only possible future before a holy God is wrath and judgment and destruction. That, that's, that's one of the ways 
These things have been written down for our instruction, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, so that we would remain well aware of what would be the case for us if God does not step in and provide. What happened to Israel in verses 14 through 16 is the fate of every person who rejects God's grace. You don't just, now mainly, you see the progression of Israel out of Jacob. I don't deny that. But there is that element of all humanity. Right? We cannot escape our biology. We cannot escape our DNA. God could very well say the same things to anybody because they come from Adam. This is what you did in the beginning. You saw the fruit. You thought it was good for food. You thought it would enlighten you. You thought it would improve upon my goodness. So you took it and ate it, and you've been doing it ever since. And if you don't get what you want, if, if I don't approve of what you do, you'll kill and you'll murder. Right? It's just we, we've... This is who we are. This is our DNA. When we don't look at our lives through the lens of God's grace, when we don't evaluate ourselves well enough, or, or we don't, when we don't look at our lives through the lens of God's grace, we don't evaluate ourselves well enough to come to the right conclusions about ourselves. We look at our past and generally see it one of two ways. Right? I, I, this is... One of the areas where I know where I still struggle with pride so much is because if I look back on my past, like I can't, I can't stand it. I, I, I remember things from my past that are so embarrassing to me now. And, and, and I, it, it would be shocking for me to find out that people probably don't think of me nearly as much as I think they do. But like in my head, I think, oh my, I hope that person doesn't remember this and I hope that church doesn't remember that. And I hope that, I mean, just, I just, if, if I lay, sometimes I lay in bed at night, especially on Sunday nights. And I just lay there and think and think and think and think. And so we, we, we do this. We, we, I don't know if you, you do that like I do or maybe you do that worse than I, I. I don't know. But we look at our past and generally we see it one of two ways. Either we credit ourselves for what we've achieved and we grow in our confidence that we are our own perfectly capable Savior. Right. So the gospel falls on deaf ears just like I don't need grace. I would like to have His blessing. I would like to have God's provision and protection. I don't need His grace. I'm a self-made man. Or, we're so let down by our inabilities and failures and sins that we throw in the towel and believe not even God can fix us. Both conclusions miss grace when you're looking at your past. We look to ourselves. What are we doing? We're looking to ourselves to find our identity. We're, 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 we're trying to extract what we are from the choices we've made. When we don't look at our lives through the lens of God's grace, another thing we do is come to believe we not only have to provide everything for ourselves, but again, that we can provide everything for ourselves. So we become obsessed with our efforts and our strength, and our talents, and our abilities to buy us provision, and security, and safety. That We look to ourselves to provide everything for us that we need, and we miss the grace of God who meets every need. And as promised to, that clouds our vision of the future. And we look at either our success and ability as the means by which we will secure our future, or even secure heaven, or 
we look at our lack of success and victory and inability and lose all hope for the future and refuse to believe God's promise. In a nutshell, whether we're looking at the past, the present, or the future, whether we're looking for identity, provision, or security, we look to ourselves for our salvation or the lack thereof. All three of those views of our lives completely miss our desperate ongoing need for God's grace. And there is provision for our souls in nothing else. We, we cannot make ourselves into God's children. We cannot give ourselves an identity. Only grace can make us a child of God. We cannot provide for ourselves the necessary righteousness or goodness for God to accept us. We cannot make our own peace. We cannot take for ourselves what we need in a world where it's God who owns everything. Only the grace of God is consistently reliable to provide us or to provide for our needs. And we cannot secure our own future. Only God's grace can guarantee our destiny. We are utterly dependent on God for identity, provision, and a future. That's what we are admitting when we embrace the gospel. 13.4 Besides me, there is no Savior. Right? But instead, we generally think or forget, like Israel did in 12.8, we need God to show us favor. What can be done about our guilt? What can be done about our lack of perfection? Our iniquity is bound up. He's aware of all of it. He sees and knows it all. God is aware that we don't have the righteousness we need to sow in order to reap steadfast love. So Hosea pushes us as he pushed Israel to realize that one thing. Besides me, there is no Savior, says the Lord. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, maybe you recognized it as we read this text here, particularly verse 14. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58, the Apostle Paul not only quotes Hosea 13, 14, but in light of what Christ has secured, he answers the questions of Hosea 13, 14. If God is our Savior, where is the sting of death? If God is our Savior, where is its victory? If God is our Savior, where is the record of our iniquity? Nowhere. It's been taken away. They've been taken away. What can be done about our guilt? Right? What can be done about the fact that the sum total of the choices we've made merits death and judgment? What can be done about it? God's unfailing and perfect grace in Jesus Christ undoes it all. Beloved, our only option is to cling to Him. Do you see in what Jacob did what you and I should do? Not just Israel, but what we should do. Wrap both arms around the cross, like Jacob wrestling with God, and say, I can't let go unless the blood and righteousness of your Son redeems me. I can't let go. You have to save me. Right? Do, you, do you see it? Like nothing ever really changes. <laughs> God is not coerced by our begging. Right? He's honored by it. 
For that's the faith that recognizes the very thing that faith is supposed to make us recognize we need to do. Believe in Jesus Christ alone as our only Savior. Tonight, the text is in Christ now a word of comfort to you and I. Our triumphs and disasters, our wise and foolish decisions, do not converge to create a spreadsheet by which God either rejects or accepts us. Right? Our choices don't determine who we are in the sight of God. Like, is there a more relieving message in all creation that the gospel is really bad math? Right? I mean, it, it just, it, it, it thrills my soul. I, I, how can it be that before people we never feel justified, whole, accepted, forgiven, and in the eyes of God, to Him, that's precisely what we are. Right? How could it be that God, the Holy One, is, is not evaluating us like that? Right? Again, it's so counterintuitive. Like the ultimate judge would be the most stringent, right? Yeah, but Christ absorbed the wrath. Christ absorbed the penalty. That's, that's true of you tonight, believer, when you go to bed. That's true of you tonight. Don't let anybody make you doubt that. Don't let anybody make you doubt that. Our plans, our choices don't determine who we are in the sight of God. Our plans don't determine ultimately whether or not we'll have enough. Right? Doesn't mean you want to be irresponsible. It's just, we will be sometimes. And He won't fail us. Like it's just it's just too good. Our futures aren't determined by what we do or don't do. What we get or what we don't. We're not defined by our pasts. We're not responsible for our futures. You see, that's what God is offering to Israel here. I I can make you something different than what you merit. I can give you a different name than the one you've earned. Right? That's what He does every time He redeems. Right? Every time He redeems. That, that, that's what He's doing. It should be like this. Right? And, and that, that's what the text, that's how the text is functioning here. If, if I, if, if God is not the Savior, then this is where you're gonna end up. This is what you're capable of. You can't break free of your biology. You can't break free from your past. Right? And in some sense in the world, you, you never can. Right? You may have made one single mistake when you were 15 that writes the story for the rest of your life. And it's not that coming to Christ will, will wipe all of that away in the judgment of man. You, you may have made a horrible decision at one time in your life that has negatively affected you for the rest of your life. That's, that's horrible. That's a part of what it is to live here. The Gospel says, however, yeah, but that's not final. Right? That's not ultimate for anybody that believes. For anybody that believes. My past and my future are all on God's grace. Besides me, there is no Savior. No Savior. Do you hear what He's telling them? There's no king that can save you. There's no money. There's no contract. There's no achievement. There's no merit. There's nothing. There's only one provision. Christ. Grace is God making Himself weak in order to bless us. Is that not what Jesus Christ did precisely at the cross? There is the ultimate wrestling match. 
of all humanity, of all creation. And what does Jesus do? Spreads His arms out and lets us nail His hands and His feet there. He could have called 10,000 angels and after that day there's nothing but cinder and ash. He could have thought it, beloved. That's what He was capable of. He, He walked on water. Like He made food multiply. Deaf ears came open. Blind people could see. Dead people were raised to life. There's no telling what He could have done in that moment if He wanted to. And what does He do? He goes silent. He doesn't even argue. He doesn't even argue. It's the ultimate wrestling match. It's our worst, our strength. It's the culmination of Psalm 2. You, God, You will not be our King. We have no king but Caesar. Do you see how nothing ever really... It's just all the same story. We have no king but Caesar. We've picked our king. God, you get away from us. Judas says, I've betrayed innocent blood. That's your problem. We don't care who he is. We're killing him. Right? Let's his back just get ripped wide open. That The cat of nine tails, it's, it's bone and, and chips of metal. It, you never recover from it if it doesn't kill you. And he just just laid there and took it all. Just took it. It's the ultimate wrestling match. It's us beating to death and crucifying the only one that can save us because that's who we are. But in the wisdom of God, which is the foolishness of man, how do you and I find redemption? We go to Calvary and we wrestle. And we hang on to Him and say, look, you, 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 you've got to redeem me. I have no other options here. Esau's after me. You, you, you got to help me. Right? Death, hell, and the grave are on my trail. What can I do? you got to save me. Now, he responds. See, Jacob, God in his wrestling with Jacob was the pattern laid for humanity in how he would redeem sinners. He who knew no sin became sin so that we who are filled with it might in Him become the very righteousness of God. We, we, we talked about it briefly when we were going through Second Peter. But how in the world do you call Lot righteous? All right? As Peter says, righteous Lot. Lot's one of the worst guys in the Bible. And I'm not, I'm, I don't mean that like in a self-righteous way, like I'm better than Lot. That's not my point. It's just, you, my goodness, man, those guys... Some of those guys were just, how do you call them righteous? Because of this, what this text is saying, foreshadowing what God will do. You see, you and I have our records. We have our bad choices. We have our horrible moments we wish we could undo. We have, we have all of that. We have the things we can't escape, the things we just can't seem to get past or get rid of. And God lays His Son over all of it. And when he looks at you, sees him. Right? We have put on Christ. Right? That's the garment I wear into heaven so that I don't get kicked out. Right? This, this is what he's done. God lays his son over our lives and he covers everything. And look, man may never forgive you, but who is there to condemn if God has? Right? We don't claim anything from ourselves. As sufficient. We wait. We do 12-6. We wait for favor from the Lord.
His grace makes us what we are. Nobody's a self-made man or woman in heaven. We are those who need him to provide everything for us. The grace of God is the only thing that can save us. God is our only Savior. The question that matters most tonight is, He your Savior? I'm talking to everybody. Is He your Savior? Is it Him you rely on for all of it? Linda's going to come and play. I'm going to close this in prayer. And I'll be down front as we sing. If you need to pray about anything, I'll be there. Let me close us. Father, we thank you for your word, the way it instructs, the way it teaches, Father, the way it, it is a sword that lays us bare and then is a balm that gives us life, all in the same word, by the same word, by the same God, in his Son, Jesus Christ, your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, may your Holy Spirit, who reveals him to us and makes him known to us do his work now in each one of our hearts God that we might believe on him tonight and that we might rest in him for what he's done so Father I pray for my church your beloved that each one of them that believes in you would sleep very well tonight literally and I ask and pray this in the name of Jesus Christ Amen